Initiative Podcast, Volume Number Two, Issue Number Ninety-Three. DM Vince sitting here alongside DM Matt. Hello, everyone. DM Will. What's up? And our one back down. What? <laughs> How are you, Nick? I am fine. I'm actually doing pretty good. I- I'm sorry. I thought you were Blackstone. I forgot. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah. So we got a wonderful show this week. This week we're going to take a look at another game uh, compared to first edition. But we'll get into that in a few minutes because we're going to get right to the good part of the show. Everybody's been waiting for this because we'll... It's all good parts. <laughs> this part... We're waiting for the best part. Yes, this one really good, really good part. The crunchy bits. Crunchy bits, yeah. Will has been talking about this for ages, and finally it's time for Will's contest. Will, I'll let you have the microphone. Oh, 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 you want to? Okay. <laughs> All right. What the- <laughs> threw him off guard. <laughs> yeah, it did throw me off guard. Give me your microphone. I'm still oh, like, okay. Man. I have nailed this surprise. Head- He's stunned for three rounds. I have a headset on. Fine. <laughs> I give you the airwaves there. <laughs> okay, so I, I was talking about this contest for quite some time period and everything. And so uh, it would have been a lot earlier, but I think that there was a delay in the books coming out. Yes, yes, so there then, were. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we had to postpone it until the, actually the books got into my hand. And since I got my fourth set of uh, books and I got a fifth set waiting on me to get this week and everything, uh, so I'm now ready to get this contest on the way. So real simple, all I want. Now, I know there was another contest not too long ago. Do you all remember who that guy was? Do you remember what, what it was? There was a contest? Yeah, there was another contest where a guy was giving out books. Oh, uh, he was that's right. Yeah, there was a secret DM did that. Yeah, that was it. The secret DM did it. I submitted for that anyway. I went ahead and submitted my. my uh, I just kind of say it, submitted my submission. I submitted my. I, I entered my submission. So I don't know. That don't sound right. So I submitted my submission. Is that how you say it? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Sure, anyway, sounds good. You submitted I, your entry. There you go. Yeah, I guess so. that's how you want to say. It. So I, I submitted my thing into the contest. We'll see how it turns out. I did my 15 rooms and everything. Now, his, his specifics were he just wanted 15 rooms of a dungeon. He didn't particularly care for no maps or nothing like that. And, and the rooms didn't have to be all, you know, like as it was dungeon. He just wanted 15 rooms of a dungeon, 15 to 20 rooms, 15 to 25 rooms. And so uh, I don't know. I guess they're going to, you know, go through it later on and pick out those rooms they liked and they get, uh, make up some. Some, some type of an adventure later on or something. But anyway, whichever person submitted, you know, the, the best one, they're going to give those three books. Well, mine's going to be a little different than that. Mine's going to have a theme to it because I, I, this, I'm, I'm real particular about themes. Since we're going into the uh, Halloween uh, time period, I want a scary theme. I want a horror theme. Okay. So that's what I want. So the whole premise of this is that I want, I would like a 25-room dungeon Mm-hmm. Uh, castle, or any type of adventure that revolves around Halloween. The uh, you so know, it's Halloween then. 
So yeah, I, I mean, with Halloween, I, I mean, it doesn't have. I mean, I want it to be scary. I don't want anything to do with you know, you know, Mickey Mouse running around or any of that weird stuff or Alice in Wonderland stuff. Or, no, no, I want a horror themed. Uh, adventure, an actual adventure someone can play, you know, from start to beginning. And I want, I want the whole thing, you know. I want uh, the rooms well done. Uh, I like t- uh, box text. I know you don't like that, Vince, but I like box text. There's a reason why I like box text. Well, if anybody in the WGPRN family can't qualify for this contest anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, some say that, you know, I like Vince. I don't like box text either. Well, I, I want box text, so. <laughs> okay, fine. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh, you know, and we do have, uh, I got the submissions for uh, Dungeon Magazine. And now I want this in, in first edition rules, first edition only. Not second edition, not 3.5, not Pathfinder, not fourth edition. I don't, I don't want no other edition. I want first edition. This is a first edition podcast. I want this adventure to be done in first edition rules and everything. And I want full stat blocks. I don't want someone putting down Orc, AC7, Hit points three, damage one to six. No, you, no, no. I, you want it done like I was done in an actual module. I want them done exactly the way first edition modules are done. So, and the reason I, I wanted to, to to submit, uh, you know, show the uh, the dungeon submissions is that they give some very good hints on what not to do. The same old cliche stuff and everything. So, again, the theme is to revolve around Halloween. So, make it a scary one. You know, have some scary monsters. Undead. Primo, that would be awesome. But it doesn't have to be undead. You can even use the fiend folder and use like uh the adherer. You know what the adherer looks like, right? Oh yeah. yeah. It looks like a mummy. What if it was what so, if it was like a vampire Mickey Mouse? Is that okay? Nah, I guess that you want me to hold him down and beat him? <laughs> no, Mickey Mouse needs to be a necromancer. Okay. No, Mickey necromancer. Mouse is the devil. You remove the ears, you'll find horns. <laughs> No, now we can't use him now because none of that diabolical. But no, anything that revolves around the end. I mean, like I said, a Halloween theme. It could be however you want to do it and everything. Just as long as it has a Halloween theme to it and everything. You know, like I said, how many rooms? I said 25 rooms, right? That's correct. Yes, 25 rooms. What's the due date for this? The cutoff date to send handies in? Oh, what is today's date? Uh, 16th? Something like that. Yeah, my well, today's date and the release date will be two different things. So the release date would be more like 20, 1st, 22nd. So 16 is today. The 16th of October is one month. Okay, then, good deal. All submissions are due by November 1st. Okay. Oh, so after Halloween, then. Okay. <laughs> After Halloween, because you know, because we had to wait till the books come out at the same time. I had to wait until I get another copy before I could actually do this. Now that I got my fourth copy, my fifth copy waiting for me, I can now do it. So that's why it oh. took so long. But that's okay. That's perfect because it's still the fall time, the fall time period, and everything. It's still good. All right. So November first, two thousand twelve, midnight is when the entries are due. By anything after then will no longer be accepted. We will want twenty-five rooms in a themed dungeon or castle or just basically a themed module. It's going yeah. to be spooky. And we'll put, we'll, <laughs> we'll put the link in the show notes where you could find the, the uh, PDF he's talking about, or the rules for examples. Right. As we done in first edition, and the prize is a set of the collector's edition, first edition reprints, courtesy of Will, mailed to you free of charge if, if you win the contest. Bonus points if you put in Count Blickenhouse. 
No, there's no bar. <laughs> uh, no, Darn. don't do that. RFI, RFI, all four of us will be the judges. Will will be the final say on the judge on judging since it's his contest. No, no, no. I don't want to. I, I, actually, I would like y'all to look at it and everything and let me be the tiebreaker. That's what I meant. Oh, I okay. want to be the Simon Cowell of the group, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> you could be you, you, Mariah. This is a load of dung. <laughs> and then we'll talk about them. I like to talk about them all when we eventually get enough of them. Hopefully we get a, a plenty of submissions and everything. Now, I'm going to be realistic. If I only get one or two, that's lame. Hmm. That's lame. So he's looking for... A couple of entries, at least ten. A dozen, a dozen. I'll give us plenty of time, and you know, do it in a format that where we can read it. I, I, I want it spell checked. I want it done right. If you're gonna send, you know, something nasty and everything, don't bother. Yeah, no coke stains. <laughs> no, I'm serious it. though. I, I mean, people are gonna say they'll say one ten foot by ten foot room, one spider. They put the little stat blocks and then put treasure. That's not what I want. No, don't don't you dare send me that stuff. That's B one stuff. I don't want that. <laughs> what's, an example, what's an example of a module you can think of the top of your head so they can look at it for? Oh Lord, I mean, let me Tomb think. Horrors? No, 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 no. That's what? Not, what? You're giving them the wrong ideas and everything. You know, oh. look at the K series. Look at the U series. Uh, look at the uh, the Slave Lord series. Uh, the uh, I series. Huh? Ravenloft would be good. Yeah, any of those series, they show you how to do, you know, do a room description. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't, I mean, you know, like G1 and 2, 3 and everything. I mean, they were decent, but the text block, you know, not having text block, I think, is a killer for a lot of modules. Do they need to have uh, a full-blown map in there, hand-drawn map, what? I like a hand-drawn map at the best. At least give us a hand-drawn map. I'm not expecting people to get campaign cartographer 58. There's plenty and- of free map tools out there to use, so... Yeah. But, I mean, hand-drawn is just as good as long as, you know, they look decent. Like I said, I'm looking at content. That's what I judge this stuff on is on content. So, you know, if you want to put a little art in there, that's up to you and everything and all that. And, all right, and uh, the winner's module will be placed on uh, RFI, our website, and sent with the uh, app so everybody can see what the winner was. Yep. That'll be our free download for everybody. A free adventure comes out of it. Everything else will just become property of Farify, sadly. And Nick will just eat it for dinner, that's all. What? No. <laughs> Nick, is gonna, Nick is like the Paul Abdul of our group, so. Now, do we have to have in a particular She's format? hot. Do, do, do you all want it like a Microsoft Word, or does it matter just as long as we can read it? Just as long as we can read yeah. it. Can, yeah. Word, PDF. I do something like that, but don't do it in doggone handwriting because, you know, some people just don't know how to write too well or they just write so sloppy. And I'm thinking like, okay, today's winner is Mr. Chicken Scratch. Yeah, that's right. So, all right, summing it up real quick, November 1st is the contest to do 25 rooms for a module and full description with monsters and stat blocks. Pictures, optional, but at least a map included with it that is keyed. Um, November first, we'll we'll put the link on there for the PDF for just some rules, and I think that's it. Oh, you get and as a prize, obviously you get the reprints, which is a value at a hundred dollars for all three of them. So it's not like you're getting a five dollar item here; you're working for a hundred dollar item here for free. Yes. So I mean, if it takes you, you got about what almost a month and a half to do it. So yeah, mm-hmm. plenty of time. Plenty of time. We'll see lots of entries. I mean, if you do an average of two rooms a day, yeah, I mean, it can be done. 
and then and then clean it up there. You know, do a little yeah. editing, and voila, mm -hmm. you got yourself a little uh, mini adventure. And don't worry about like covers or anything like that. You don't have to have like a full picture blown cover. Right. Just as long as it has your adventure on it with the name and art by Errol Otis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you need to hire Errol Otis to do the cover or anything. And Bill Willingham. <laughs> and of course, provide all the other uh, pertinent information like full name, address, and email address, and a phone okay. number, please, so we can contact you. Well, when the winner, when we pick the winner, we'll contact them privately to ask them for yeah. an address. Don't worry about putting the address in when you first, just your name is good enough. And email to contact you. All right, cool. Mm hmm. <sighs> so we got that out of the way. Ah, uh, thank goodness. <laughs> I guess we can head into some Sage Advice now. Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Sage Advice. Sage Advice. This week we have only one email, but it's very long and very controversial. Now, it's just a long email. And uh, Nick is well, courtesy, courtesy of Nick. He's going to be reading. Yeah, sure. I can make it controversial if you want. Sure, go ahead. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, our one email here, chock full of uh, information from DM Raceland Rocks, says, "Hi guys, pretty new listener. Listen to back. Listen to the back catalog in no chronological order. Uh, love what it, what it sounds like. And loves the show. He has a couple questions mm -hmm. um, on episode way back. Let's head back in the way back machine here with Professor <laughs> Honeydew." <laughs> is uh, episode 19. You said someone had written in about you guys not liking the newer versions of D&D. Yes, here we go again, guys. Yeah. Which, of course, is fine. But the reason why for DM Nick, Nick I think, had me scratching my head has comments he said. Now, I'll, I'm going to take this piece by piece, everyone, just let you know. He said it was more like World of Warcraft than World of Warcraft itself was. Quoting a review from elsewhere. Yes, that review... My little editorial note here was from another uh, show on YouTube, uh, Game Geeks. The host there said basically it was like World of Warcraft, more like World of Warcraft than World of Warcraft is in itself. And he wants to know if I ever had a chance to pl play 4th Edition, giving it a chance before he said something so ridiculous. Okay. That <laughs> is not ridiculous. I have... Over 30 years of gaming experience, I read through the books, I have seen and read through it extensively, and from my opinion, it is patterned after a multi-player online role-playing game. That's just by going through the rule books and reading them and seeing how it's all laid out with the different character classes and defeats and how things like recharge over time and, you know, even fighters can heal apparently now. So <laughs> that's where my opinion is coming from. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have to play the game to understand how it works because of my background in, in gaming. Even though um, our, uh, our writer here said he only played World of Warcraft for a 10-day free trial they had, but I don't see how 4E can relate to it anyway. Can we get a better explanation? Well, you just did. <laughs> <laughs> and the argument that you're saying that it's just the easy, popular answer for people who don't really have an answer. Well, that is my answer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not an, 
it's an easy one to ascertain because um, anybody who knows anything about gaming, even for a short period of time, can look at that game and see it as um, it, it plays like an online role-playing game. That's how it is. So it, it really isn't uh, a simple easy, quick answer. I mean, that's where my knowledge comes from. And I think a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people, but I say some people do agree with my assessment. Mm -hmm. And I think after not too long ago, (laughs) we even said we're not going to broach the subject anymore. But, you know, it was brought up in a a reader, you know, our listener wanted to, you know, an explanation. So there you have it. So I guess uh, there's a second part to this. And I think... uh, Will's going to take that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to talk about your part though first for a second. <laughs> All right. No, 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 I ain't mad. Now I'm just having fun and everything. And and you know what? I, I was always a fan. Um, well, I'm almost a firm believer that you know, uh, I will always support someone's right to say something, and I will die to defend them so that they can say those kind of things with no problem. I have no problem. I may not agree with them, but still, the point comes to this: I played WoW for five years. Mm-hmm. I played, yeah, I played WoW for five years. I saw 4th edition. I ran 4th edition for two years and three months when I was stationed down there in uh, Yuma, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I just have to say that, true, is it WoW? No, it's not. But does it play like WoW? Yes, it does. I mean, it does. It has it has a lot of the same elements contained within the video game. And I just... Uh, it's, and I'm not saying that it's the popular answer. No, I'm not one of those ones that I have to hear 1,000 people to convince me that something is wrong, but it's actually right, or whatever the case may be. Wizards themselves like, even said that, too. Say again? Wizards themselves even said they quoted, they, they made the game to cater to the younger right. crowd that plays online games. Right. And there you go. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's the whole thing. And see, and this is the funny part. And I'm not being, you know, a jerk about this, but have you ever seen the World of Warcraft RPG? Yeah. Or have you remember, seen the yeah. EverQuest RPG? Yeah, yep. I remember yeah. that one. For okay, sure. they did that in D twenty rules. Now, yes, had they, they did. did and had they done fourth edition as in a D twenty rule subset, I would not right now be saying that it's almost like wow. Do you see adventures in World of Warcraft, the computer game? I don't see none. I don't see no adventures. And the same thing applied pretty much to uh, fourth edition as well too. It's primary design for Battles, skirmishes on a battle map. Uh, the adventure, the role-playing uh, portions have been taken out. Yeah. Well, my my thought is you can role-play anything. Be it I can role-play Shell Shock, the the uh, Victory Games World War II board game. You can role-play anything. However, the emphasis in Shell Shock is tactical combat. Same with Fourth Edition. There is a heavy emphasis mm-hmm. on tactical combat. The game itself assumes you're going to min-max your character t- to a certain amount just to be functional in the game. Also, with your at-wills, your dailies, and your encounters, those are very similar if you think about, one, how your character gains them, to how you level up in a World of Warcraft, or as I've played a lot of City of Heroes. You gain a level, you get new powers... And all those powers have different recharge times, which is the difference between a daily and encounter and an at will. And then you also have your utility powers, which you have in those games as well. So 
from that standpoint, there are similarities in the advancement and the power selection you get. But it doesn't ne- it doesn't mean it's a bad game. And it's and if people don't like it, it doesn't mean you shouldn't play it. No, if you're enjoying it and having fun, that is play it, enjoy it. Who cares what other people think? It's just not for us. Exactly. I mean, with right. fourth, it, it, it's no. just something different, and not everybody is going to have the same taste. Right. And you can role play in fourth. However, since so much emphasis is put on, you must play your character with a certain amount of tactical knowledge. And min-maxing, people get hung up on that and put so much focus on character design and encounter design on making sure the math works, they forget to role-play. So you can role-play in it. It's just a lot of people forget to because so much emphasis is put on the number crunching. Well, I see, that's a good point, and I'm going to tell you, and a great example of that, and I shouldn't have said that you can't role-play. You can role-play almost anything. Have you ever tried role-playing killer bunnies? Well, yeah. You can't. You did? Oh, my goodness. I don't know how you did it. But <laughs> here we go. Now, watch yeah. this, though. They came out with that, that supplement for 4th edition called uh, Revenge of the Giants, I believe it was. Yes. Have you seen that hardback book? I actually own it. When you look at it, you know, if they did adventures like that, I think it'd be awesome for any edition of the game. I think that is a great concept. Have an adventure, do the entire adventure, but now when they get into a certain room, there should be another portion of the book you go to to show you how the battle is set up. But again, that book is primarily designed for one thing, for skirmishes, the battles, miniatures, and on, and that whole thing. And that's what the whole point of that whole book is, the majority of it. I mean, you can piece together, mill piece it together somewhat, or piece mill it, I mean, to... uh to make the adventure, you know what to do from the beginning, but it's, like I said, it's a conglomerate. It's, it's a mixture. Right. But again, it's all focused just like on, uh, on what uh, Matt just said. Yeah. It's just doggone. It's just the, it's, 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 it's figuring out who do we need in the party, how to min-max the party so that the comp, you don't know what you're running into. Right. I, right. I mean, the game designers, they actually will say, we expect a party of this level to have so many magic items and so many pluses in addition to the stats their character has. They right. expect a certain party to have this. A lot of expectations were put on groups to have certain things. If you don't play that way and build an encounter as written, your entire group will fall apart. Yeah, and don't forget the card element too, the cards. Oh, uh, yeah, once they the went encounter into, cards. Yeah, yeah, once they went into essentials and added the encounter cards. Then at that point you have to make well <laughs> That's more kind ways of, to get more money out uh, yeah. Right, basically. and it's it's also something where it's like any other additional supplement, like UA, you can just use the cards to, and if your entire group wants to, sure, more power to them. But you as the DM need to decide, am I going to allow this or am I not? Because you cannot have a group where some players are and some players aren't. It will unbalance your game entirely. But that, that same goes for... Like, I just started a Ravenloft campaign for my home group. If some players were using UA and some weren't, that would just unbalance my game. Certain players would be performing much better than others. So I just went straight player's handbook. So you it's you can role play in it. It's not a bad system. I played some fourth, and the most fun I had was when I played it as a dungeon delve, basically a tactical miniatures game. When I went into it with a tactical miniatures game approach, I really enjoyed it. But as for a role-playing system, 
I don't need role playing in my tactical mi- tactical miniatures game, and I don't need tactical miniatures in my role playing game. There it goes, and, and just to, you got to my, my peanut butter. Exactly. <laughs> Take a look at um, what are those three board games that Wizard of the Coast came out with? Uh, the uh, Legend of Dritz, the uh, Castle yeah. Ravenloft, and uh, Wrath of Ashalon. Okay, actually, Castle, Castle Ravenloft was actually kind of fun. All three games are decent, and again, but they're based on fourth edition. And now they just released some new supplements out. These new skirmish battle boxes, right? Those, yeah, Dungeon Command. The Dungeon Command, which make those compatible with those three board games, which I thought that was pretty cool. But again, if you ever played the Dungeon Command stuff, what are we playing? We're playing a skirmish game. Right. That's basically what it is. Right. It's. I think someone made up rules for the Castle Ravenloft for first edition to play it in. If you go on the Wizards of the Coast forum, they have a whole link about it. Wow. Yeah, it was actually kind of cool. I was reading it. Yeah. So there you go. Okay. So are we ready for my portion? Yep. Uh, the second right. half. Email. Part two oh. of the same of the same uh, email. <laughs> go ahead. Me? Now, how do you all want it? Okay, well, it comes down to it. Now, who wrote this email again? This is one long email. DM Raslin Rocks. Raslin Rocks. Oh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Dragonlance fan from, from ever. Forever. Yeah. Well, it says here, DM Will said that the Knights of Salamnia from Dragonlance have no code that they follow. Will seems like a very knowledgeable guy. Thank you. About what he's talking about. I do. And especially since Dragonlance has been mentioned before, even having both Margaret and Tracy on the show, I figured that someone would have been able to speak up and correct them. Oh, hey, Rogo, someone's trying to correct me. Knights of Salamnia no. all have a code that every one of them follow. Yeah, I know that. They, they do. And I don't know, you might have mixed up something I was saying, or I may have not uh, said what I meant to say, but the code that the Knights of Salamnia have are not the same code and ethics that Paladins and Cavaliers had, depending if you use the UA from first edition. We may have got, I may have got my wires crossed and what have you, but when it comes to their code of ethics, it's nowhere near as strict or severe as the Paladins and the Cavaliers have to deal with uh, in the first edition PHB on Unearthed Arcana because in the, in, with the Knights of Salah, I can't see them losing their abilities. Can anyone point out to where they can lose their abilities, how they can lose their abilities? I didn't see anything for that, no. Yeah, I didn't I see anything see either. Nothing in there stating they can lose their abilities, and I'm going to tell you why. Look at Lord Soth. Well, the only thing I can think of is it says you have to be lawful good, so I assume if you lose your alignment, then you would lose the support of the group not the powers right and that's the whole point that i'm trying to have here so when i talk about their oath and their 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 goals or whatever it is that that that, you know that i messed up on or maybe there was a misunderstanding is yeah they do have some type of order or or a code or a a code of ethics or or whatever it is everything but nowhere near like the cavalier and the paladin now of course if you're using just the the, the, the PHB, the Paladin, I mean, it doesn't take much to lose that. Uh, change of alignment, uh, doing an evil deed. Uh, what is it? They, they can't have only so many magical items? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, it's similar, similar to a Paladin in that respect. Typically a certain amount of things, yeah. They can only have so many magical items, and it states specifically in that they can only have so many magical items. Uh, and there's a couple other things that they can't do. And, and, and the same thing applies with the Cavaliers. When you look into the the, PH, uh, the UA, I mean, and then that also applies to Paladins too as well. So that goes mm-hmm. to my next portion here now. It says here, what does it say here? Knights of Salamnia 
all, oh no, we don't want to go to that one. The code has been around since the Knights were founded. We know that and everything. On page 16, a dragon answer, it talks about the oath and measure. Yeah, we know they have an oath and measure. That's not what I was saying. It's not the same as the Cavaliers and Paladins of the first edition PHB, though. And let's see it now, plus they're lawful good. Yep, we know that. Also, he says that knights come from different areas, which is just completely wrong. Guess what, there, DM Racing Rocks? You're incorrect. Please take a look at page 11, and it states right there under the Cavalier portion, Noble Knights of Kingdoms. These are Cavaliers now. They, these are always found in service of individual, individual kingdoms, which is plural. It has an S at the end of it. That makes it plural. That means many kingdoms, not just one, and may be considered candidates for the Knights of Salamnia. Now, take a look at page 12, and look again. It says Cavaliers and Paddle. To look at that portion right there, my friend, it tells you that they can can come from different areas. They have to qualify through service by joining the Order of the Crown to be considered a candidate to be a Knight of uh, Salamnia. So, yes, they can come from different areas. So, please try and correct me again. You're out of order. He's out of order. This whole court's out of order. Well, then I, I, will, I refuse to pay the fine, and you can hold me in contempt. But, um... <laughs> That's a dog's living together. That's <laughs> hysteria. So no wrestling, no. I see where you're coming from, but no. Not all knights of Salamnia have to come from, from Salamnia. They can come from different regions. They just have to qualify for the service, which in turn means they still have to meet the lawful, I mean, the alignment requirements and whatever other requirements there are to be of that particular knight of the sword or the knight of the crown or whatever. It states right there on page 11 and page 12 on both those categories on the Cavaliers and Paladins. Not, not to mention a credit check. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you that. School blood sample. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't say it mean that, but what I'm, yeah, wealth has a lot to do with it as far as the Knights of Salamnia is concerned. So let's see what else it says here. Salamnia is a large country that at the time AD&D was being used, only those of noble human blood in Salamnia could apply to knighthood. And that's not what it says in here. So just giving the heads up, that's not what it says there on page 11 and page 12 under the Cavalier and Paladin uh, type thing there. But so anyway, I'm glad that you listened to the podcast. And yes, if I do, if I if I do say something wrong, please call me out on it. I'll, I'll eat my hat in a heartbeat. But in this case, I'm not wrong. I'm correct. Okay. Well, thank you for your rant and get off your soapbox. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, <laughs> we're just having fun. Yes, yes. And if you want to write in, that's rfistaff at gmail dot com, or you can call us at five seven zero eight six five forty two ten. The hotline. And that'll wrap up the Sage Advice this week. We'll head into some table manners. Typical of all the evil creatures in the world. I like to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. Okay, on today's table manners, we are going to be talking about the races and classes of Taslantia. That's how you pronounce it, right? Taslantia? That's how I've always pronounced it, yeah. Yeah, that's what it looks like to me. Well, let's see. Talislana, Talislania, whatever it is. I said it wrong. Tomato, tomato. (laughs) I'm going to say it right, though, so people can look it up. So it is Talislanta. I say Tazalantia, but I don't know why. Talislanta. Okay, and how do we look at this from a first edition perspective? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. I am not seeing a first edition perspective for 99.9% 
of 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 the uh, the stuff that I was reading here of of the uh, product here. Okay, now let's talk about the classes. We all know what's in first edition AD and D. We know we have the fighter, we have the cleric, we have the thief, we have the magic user, uh, we have the uh, who am I missing? We're missing the I'm missing somebody. The paladin, ranger, have, the uh, ranger, thief, assassin, assassin monk. Listen. Oh yeah, the monk. See, bard. Ah, oh, the bard. Yeah, and then of course we have the psionicist. Or the Sonic and Doc character. I guess it's not really a character. But anyway, when it comes to the races, we know we have dwarves, elves, humans, gnomes, halflings, half-orcs. Am I forgetting anything? Half-elves. Well, half-elves. Elves, they all fall in the same thing. The whole tree. What else? I think I got them all. Anyway, so that's what we have in, in, in the PHB, the first edition PHB. Now, in Talos Lanta, whoo, you better get ready for this. I mean, there are a lot of races. And there are a lot of different types of character classes. Now, uh, I was we were just talking earlier before we started the show with everything. And so I look at this stuff more as a second edition concept, more so than I see a first edition. Because to me, these are mostly kits. There are no kits in first edition. That's far Without as a second edition term. And this came out, this edition we're looking at, in case you folks out there are wondering, is the first edition of the game of Talislandia. They are on the fifth edition, and you can go to talislantia.com and download the books for free if you want to look at them. And I think this what came out like around 85, 86? 87. Yeah. 87. So, so, first edition, yeah. So, 87. So, when did second edition come in? 89? 89. Yeah. So, see, there was already some thoughts about, I guess, what was going on here. And I wouldn't be shocked if they got some of the ideas from this kind of stuff here. But uh, as you uh, look, and it starts on page 10, I believe. It starts on page 10. Mm-hmm. And then uh, from there on, it just goes down the whole thing. Now, this is what's what's interesting about these character types. That's what they, 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 the section is titled, uh, character types. It's mm-hmm. race and nationality and their profession. Right. So I think the profession is what their class is, mm-hmm. and their race and nationality. That's a that just that, that's just two different things. There. It depends on where they come from in the land and what race they are. Now there's a lot of races in here, and uh, some of them I can't even pronounce. But I'm uh, 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 sorry. But there is no elves. Yeah, I mean, there's one, there's a couple in here that look like elves, kinda. Well, that's their whole quote: "Elf free since day one" or something like that. Yeah, no, no elves. <laughs> right. So, I mean, just for examples, let's talk about some of the classes in here. You have this thing called an archer mage. Then you have knife fighters. Then a swordswoman. Then a magician. A witch man. Uh, what is this? A thaumaturge? Oh, no, thaumaturge? Is that how you say it? Thaumaturge. Yeah. Scout, wizard, a warrior tracker. Tracker sounds like a ranger to me. A corsair. And a man hunter. I wonder if there's a woman hunter on here. Well, there a, is a concubine. Well, there is a concubine. Necromancer, merchant, a muse. Uh, there's a white witch, a tundra scout. So you can see the various types of what they call their professions. And this can easily be equated into first edition classes. But, of course, there's going to be some type of modification to where they probably will have some type of special abilities. Hence, my... My my thing saying that this is like a second edition amalgamation of, of of rules here, because that's where you can play a fight and have all those different types of kits. Now I did see something very interesting here, and it was called a a Sindarin. Sindarin, what page is that? Yes, Sindarin. Well, that's 
uh, if you take a look at the pictures, I'm looking at the pictures, oh. and that's uh, on page. Oh my lord, I'm looking. I can't look at the page number on these things. It just jumps right up. Page twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay. Page twenty nine. It might be one above that. I'm sorry. It looks like page 28. Uh, now, when you take a look at the creatures, they, oh, they got these neat little pictures of all the creatures in here and everything. You say, like, well, this looks like an elf. This looks like a dwarf. Uh, this looks like a human. This looks like something weird. You even have assassins in here. And then again, you're going back to the wizards and the and the, you got rogues. But the, what I found interesting was the one they called the Sin, Cinderin. Cinderin, which is almost a branch of the Cinderin, which is actually an elf in other role-playing games. And then so uh, they got the warlord, the tomb robber, the bandit, and it just goes on the charlatan, the swordsman. So as you can see, these are their professions. This is what they do. So I didn't really find a set class like a fighter, and under fighter you have all the different types of fighters. I didn't see that. Did y'all see that? No, it's it's more a race class as opposed to having two separate things. So that's almost like you know basic regular D and D where you know race is class. Exactly. That's what I'm looking at this as, as as something more similar to is is, is from the classic side. Now, I found interesting was like the the ice giant. One of them looks like a Gorn. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of on uh, page 27, the Jaka Manhunter. That's Nightcrawler. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Look on page 27. I mean, look at the gnome again. And the green man, gnome kin. So that's close to a gnome. And I mean, so basically what we got here is with with this particular game, as I see it, you're going to play a particular race. And if you play that particular uh, uh, race, you can put, uh, play a particular type of, you, I mean, you, you, you choose a particular profession that falls under the race. But it appears that, like, for example, now there's some that you probably can't get, like the beast man or the, the what was that cannibal one? I saw a cannibal in here, so that man eater or something like that. Really interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird things in here. I'm just trying to figure out how these things work. Now, with the professions, and this is where the things come in now, is that they got the special abilities, your wilderness skills, your trades and crafts, your scholarly pursuits. So let's say, for example, you are a magician or a wizard or anything that falls in there. So your scholarly pursuits would be like geography, horticulture, linguistics, metaphysical doctrines, you know, arcane lore. And if you are a combat-related profession, then you just take – I guess you get to choose from the this where the skills come in now. Remember – Skills and well, there are, there are kind of skills in first edition. We know where those come from. Those other books, proficiencies, but yeah. but proficiencies. But here they the skills: primary combat, secondary combat, combat training. It's very interesting how these things are decided depending on your profession. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually reminding me a lot of Palladium, like Palladium Fantasy. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah right. you know what? That's that's a good point. Yeah, right. Because they, fantasy, I'm familiar with that too. Yeah, yeah, because they have the racial character classes that give you different attribute bonuses, but it will also say these are your skills, these are your special abilities. It'll affect your hit points, and yeah, it's and same with the uh, picking of your skills. It'll say you can pick out of this skill set. It, yeah, it actually is more Palladium fantasy, right? Yeah, because now if you take a look, it's kind of weird. See, I'm, I'm not certain how they do the picking out thing. But, for example, I'm going to take a look at one like the saw, the, the saw Rudd Warrior. I mean, his size, he's seven feet, se- no, seven and a half feet to eight feet tall, five to 700 pounds. Yeah. 
His physical characteristics as per a sauron, so he must be like some type of lizard-like creature, but he's more massive and brutish. Now, see, his his skills are primary combat, so there's got to be something that falls under primary combat to where there might be another set of skills, you know, sub-skills. I think I saw sub-skills somewhere in here, and it just, you know, there's just so much to read and everything, and... Um, it just goes on and goes on. Then you have your backgrounds, and then you have your common abilities. So, again, you have your proficiencies. You have your skills. So I, I got to figure out how they break it down. What is a skill? What is a proficiency? What is an ability? Yeah, primary combat is actually what they call the skill. Right. Okay, that's what it is. Okay. Right, and secondary combat means you're full-time uh, primary combat means you're, like, full-time. That is your job. You're trained in weapons. Secondary right. means... You dabbled in it. Same there with, he goes. Same yep. with magic, primary magic, secondary magic. And then uh, combat training means you're proficient in a specific weapon. Magic training, you're at in like a spe- it's more specific focus. Right, exactly. So, I mean, there's a lot of nuances in here when it comes to making a character. And honestly, by looking at what you were just describing, what I was reading on here, I feel like, wow, this must be hell making a party. Of players, yeah. so that each one can complement one another, and I, I I didn't go into the whole thing about who gets along, who doesn't get along. He's eight hundred pounds, and this guy is nineteen feet tall, and it just it just goes on and goes on. Now, one thing I found interesting here is you know how they do the spell casting, the alchemist stuff, uh, and, and 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 you know fans of first edition AD and D know that a mage can't wear any armor, or a magic user cannot wear any armor. Right. Well, this game here, they can wear heavier armor. They just can't wear like the uh, plate mail, the, the real heavy stuff. But they, it looks like they can wear chain. It looks like they can wear, you know, like leather or that kind of armor. And I really did check to see whether or not it had any, you know, negative impact on them and everything. So, yeah, so I think Matt brought up the uh, concubine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, I guess her race is Batrian, and her profession is a concubine. Mm-hmm. And uh, next to it, it says that she has to be a female. So, again, but so if you take a look at her skills, her skills are magic training, combat training, concoct elixirs, primitive magical talents, and it's kind of weird. It says fetishes only, and so that makes me wonder what they're talking about. Dance, seduce, <laughs> and lip reading. Yep, and then she has a, a special ability, beguile by scent. So it's like a pheromone. Yeah. So just, I mean, it's just interesting how these these this, these classes and races and, and and all this stuff is just it's just an amalgamation of a lot of things. But if anything, this reminds me of second edition. Those handbooks. Remember, you know, like the the handbook of palettes. Is that what they call? No, the complete handbook of palettes. Yeah, or whatever all the it's splat called. books. The splat books. You know, splat, 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 all over the place. Yeah, that's pretty much what this is here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. These monsters or these races, they, they're ugly. They're, they're huge. I mean, they're gigantic. I mean, some of them are like eight feet tall, nine feet tall, weighing six, seven, eight hundred pounds. And, and, uh, I just, I don't know how to, how, how to, how to go from here. I mean, like, look at the, 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 the Huna witch woman warlock and the, J- the, the Jafir merchant. It could be a bandit or the J- Jafir wizard. So my, my question is, if you played a Darkling, it says Darkling Warrior, can you play anything else besides a Darkling Warrior? Is that the only one that you're limited to? That's what I'm asking. Or these, these are all the characters or races you can play? I think they're examples, and you can mix and match. I, I oh, think. okay. 
if I remember correctly, when we played the second edition, but that I played second edition, not the first. Which oh, okay. It goes into more detail on things. This is very limited in the description on a lot of things. I don't understand how they were able to play any half of the stuff in here. Yeah, this stuff is very confusing. Go ahead. Nick. I thought I thought this uh, was very interesting when you talk about the races and classes. I think it probably goes with the uh, game in a larger scope. That I guess at that time, as this came out around eighty-seven, so mid late eighties, I there was a, I there was at least from my experience, from my from what I experienced at that time. That there was a there was some gamers that were trying to find other things besides D and D to play, and they wanted to do something, you know, maybe radically different from D and D. And I think this is one of those games, because like like you said, Vince, well, the one of their taglines was no elves, you yeah. know, and this is one <laughs> of those games where it's like you know, you want to play a fantasy role playing game, but you wanted to do something different than the big 800 pound gorilla in the corner that was D and D at the time. And this was one of those games that provided that. So I think that was kind of interesting. It's just like, it's fantasy role-playing, but you know, none of the, I guess, stereotypical things that you would get from a, a regular D and D game. I think that's what makes it unique, makes it definitely a, a, yeah. a different flavor. I'm looking at the second edition book right now in my hands. And right now, page 21 to Page 45 is the different races and different classes you can play. Wow. So they, they upped it a lot in the next edition, and as well as the pictures, too. Three, four, five, five yeah. pictures. See, now this one, they have actual skills. I mean, you said you couldn't figure out what skills were what, Will? I'm sorry, say again? You said you couldn't figure out what were skills and what weren't skills? Yeah, it just, it just looking at the stuff, I saw where it says there are skills and everything. It's just trying to, you know, try and compare it to something else. It's just kind of weird how they got this stuff in. I mean, it just, you know, if you have a profession, I guess you have skills that fall under that profession. It's just, it's just a number of things that I had issues with, you know, understanding this. It, it basically, you, you pick your race and then this one's more of an example because they'll have the, each race and each race has a different type of class allowed to play with it. Okay. So I'm looking at it. The first one, the Amamanian warrior. He could be an archmage, right. warrior priest, regular warrior. Uh, it goes on to being a botmancer, mystic, things like that. So they give you a little more example in the second. I guess they cleaned it up a lot in the second edition. The book oh, is yes. Yeah. That makes sense because in the first edition, it, it, it stated specifically that they offer several dozen archetypes, which yeah. this is what we're dealing with. And uh, they expanded them to over you know a couple hundred later on. But it says here that each represents an adventuring personality particular to a certain culture with such colorful names. And, you know, the Cimmerillion rogue magician or the Jaka Beastmaster or the Mandelan mystic warrior. And I guess that these are like your starting characters. This is what a person gets. And now play the game okay <laughs> and even states that if you take a look at some of the descriptions on this they said that there was a uh, little attempt was made to balance the archetypes and many were clearly more or less powerful than others so it's kind of weird how it did this and they said it got better like in the fifth edition or something uh people argue right now i was reading on their site about fourth and fifth people go back and forth which one's the superior edition so they have their own edition wars as well so <laughs> 
But I was just reading here a little bit as I was reading to the, the background of it. They said that this uh, setting is more akin to the Dying Earth novel series by Jack Vance. So that is that explains the strangeness oh. behind some of the weird hmm. things. Okay, on that that okay that kind of clears it up a little now. That kind of makes sense then. Was yeah, it stuff look, that Gary took based off of Jack Vance's works? I the magic system for the, the most magic part. system for certain, but I don't think he took the other stuff because we do have elves and orcs with pig faces in first edition D and D. Right, the pig faces again. <laughs> it's a running joke. Pigs with orc faces. Ugh. <laughs> That's worse. Yeah, I'm looking at the website. The Talisantia still no elves is their tagline. So still no elves. <laughs> Yeah, it also states that the very few references to Norse Celtic mythology or the imagery of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. And it bases mostly on Jack Vance's works. So, I mean, like I said, interesting, interesting concept. Like I said, they do have uh, races, if you want to call it that. And they do have professions, which are pretty much your, I guess, your, your classes. Right. And they like, have a system. Yeah, like I said, I, I think what you're talking about, like, it's more based off the... Uh, Dying Earth series of books. It's more of a weird fantasy kind of thing than uh, you're getting more into realms, like you said, of Vance. And I'm, I'm also thinking, remember that, what was that one movie that uh, was an animated film, uh, Fantastic Planet? Have you ever heard of that one? It was, it was a weird French animated film. It's just bizarre. And, uh, you know, just stuff like that. It's It sounds like really weird, kind of off the base stuff, but interesting. It's different, and that's good. Because not everybody wants to play something like D and D. They want something a little bit more, a little bit more weird. Or if you want to just like take a break from something like that, it's like, hey, let's do something this, let's uh, like this. This is a little bit more, uh, you know, a little bit more off the deep end. So let's let's give it a go. So I'm, and I'm really <laughs> cool with that. So what I found interesting is that they have one novel that was ever made for Talisantia, and it was put out by Wizards of the Coast. No kidding. Huh. Yeah, that's what it says. As a matter of fact, the publishers is amazing because it started off with Bar Games and Wizards of the Coast, Shooting Iron, Morgan Press, and then I can't speak French, but I saw Ludopathis Editors. I don't know what that means. Ludopathis Editors. French. I have to say, books look really well done in 5th edition compared to the rest. Well, when did the 2nd edition come out? Because I see that the 1st edition came out in 1987. Uh, uh, 89. Yeah. That's strange because the second edition is not mentioned here. It just goes from first straight to third, fourth. Uh, uh, Bard, that's because Bard Games produced the second as well. It was the revised oh. uh, version in 89, and that's what they call the second edition. Oh. Okay. And then in 93-ish uh, is when uh, Wizards of the Coast got it, and so that was one of their – very early uh, releases in the RPG realm, which we know that well, was quite a bit of an issue for them at the beginning. Well, mm-hmm. since the 2005 was the D20 edition. Yeah. So that had to be the Wizards of the Coast. No, part, no. It? Wizards, before when they were a very young company. Oh, okay. I see yeah, this is like, oh, hey, we got this little card game called Magic, and we are releasing the very first set, Alpha. Yeah, that was brown when the Alpha set came actually, out. Actually, yeah, because yeah, this is in 92, so actually that'd be a little pre-Alpha, I think. Yep, it was. Yeah, You're that's right. actually, yeah, that's pre-Alpha. 93, the Alpha set came out. Yeah, so they uh, Wizards of the Coast produced it in 92. Yeah, so, oh, Morgan Press did the D20 version. How weird. 
And then the French got a hold of it. <laughs> Germans, Italians, all different translations of the book. <laughs> well, I noticed that they said there's eight versions of this game. There's eight different editions. Yeah, well, there's five different editions, but there's eight if one counts ash cans. And I don't know what ash cans are. Those are just like, well, like little miniature uh, sets. Like <laughs> ash cans in, com- in comic books were just like little miniature comic books that usually were stuffed in with Wizard magazine. Wow. Well, I just like the synonym for it. It's a wastebasket, trash can, or other garbage receptacle. So I wonder if they did, did well on those. Oh, the anniversary edition right here. I'm looking. It was considered one of the ash can editions. <laughs> <laughs> That's just hilarious. Call it Alrighty then. <laughs> it's five by five by eight, opposed by eight by eleven. That's the difference. Oh, they were just smaller, huh? Mm-hmm. Actually, well, like the little folio books, like the original little brown books, in a way. Actually, I'm How- looking at it. This is never released. Oh, oh, maybe it's very controversial. It wasn't released. You said five by eight? Yeah, five by eight. Oh, that sounds like they're like a small those little Archie books or those little, you know, those old little little comic right. thing. Yeah, okay. the, yeah, the term ash cans actually originated from in like the golden age of comic books when uh, companies wanted to keep their trademarks in use. So they would release these little throwaway comics just so they had something active so they could keep their trademarks. Otherwise, if you don't use it enough, it'll expire. So, that's, oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know that, Matt. That was weird. Wild. <laughs> they got the player's guide, which is beautiful, a beautiful cover to it. Game Master Guide, same thing. History of the World, The Menagerie. Is that History of the World Part 1? I part- love that movie. <laughs> they have <a> the Inquisition. <laughs> what a show! <laughs> they have cardstock minis if you want. So they went all out in fifth edition, which came out in two thousand five. Oh, well, some of it came out in two thousand five. Rusty came out in two thousand six and seven. Yeah. Okay. And they have edition wars too. That's cool. Yeah, they do. They even listed on the website. You know, people fight over fourth and fifth. <laughs> well, they can fight over this game all they want. That they, they can have it all. I just watch and eat popcorn from the side. Oh, right, sounds wonderful. So, does that pretty much wrap up the segment, Will? Oh yeah, I mean, there's only so much you can cover on this uh, this strange menagerie of creatures and races and professions. Just a little taste. I guess we'll head into our next segment. Explain a little bit more about it. So, let's go. You think I'm mad? Perhaps I am. What are you, a wizard, a genius? Darn, a perfectly good brain wasted. Game mechanics. Okay, folks, uh, now we're going to game mechanics, kind of going with our Talislanta theme for our show this week. And now I will uh, focus in on combat in the Talislanta game and how it's either similar or different to AD&D and uh, just... uh, just a little bit about it. Kind of going on with uh, what Will said earlier, the combat is based off of certain is based off a combat rating that you get from your ability scores, and that's a base uh, amalgamation of your strength, dexterity, and speed. You take those three scores, you divide them by three, and that is your combat rating. Now that can be modified through various ways. And like I would say with what Will said was uh, 
it's different types of what your combat, uh, your proficiency, I guess, would be in combat. You can improve your combat rating um, by having either primary combat skill, secondary combat, or just combat training. Now, if you have primary combat, that increases your combat rating by one per level of your ability gained. Secondary is every two levels. You can increase your combat rating. But if you just have basic combat training, I guess like a wizard out of Talos Lando, probably only every four levels. So uh, procedures for combat are actually really, really easy. You take the combat rating of the both opponents. You take the difference in the ratings, apply as a modifier, and the higher rated opponent will attack as an advantage. The lower rated opponent will attack as a disadvantage. So there's a, there is a chart that you will eventually consult. There's also speed ratings, basically determines who has initiative. The higher speed rating goes first. Mm. So the, to simulate the actual attack, though, you roll a d20 in the combat column of the, at, uh, the uh, action table. And it's just a simple, itty-bitty little table that is on, on near the back of the book. So you take all your little modifiers together, and it's just one little chart. And depending on your roll, if it's combat, you if you roll, there's a possibility with all your modifiers you could get zero or less. Then there's a mishap. Uh, one to five is a miss. Six to ten is a hit, but only half damage. Eleven to twenty is a hit, full damage. Twenty-one or more. So we're taking in again. Uh, our modifiers into consideration is hit plus intent. So I guess what that means is like you said, Oh, you know, you, you announced what you were going to do. I'm going to hit him and I'm going to try to cut his arm off. So if you rolled like a 20 plus your modifier was two. So a 22. Yes, you did hit him and cut off his arm. So, (laughs) (laughs) so your intent was cutting off his arm. Yeah, that happened. So, I find it interesting on the action table that it's not just a hit or miss, but you have basically figured into the table, you have criticals, you have fumbles, but also you have half damage. Mm -hmm. Maybe you just hit them, but not as much. You didn't hurt them as much. And even one thing I also found interesting on this is uh, the combat mishap table. If you... uh, do a mishap. It's a pretty interesting uh, uh, fumble table. Attacker off balance. Defender gets a free move. Attacker weapon is damaged, cannot be used. Attacker slips, falls in a random direction. You can injure yourself. You can, or worst, you basically knock yourself unconscious for up to 20 minutes. So. But here's another thing about this action table. It's not just used for combat. It's used for magic, and I think we're going to probably touch about that in the next segment too, right? Yes. But it's like one table for combat, magic, and determining success or failures for a skill order attribute, which I found rather interesting. So they they try to you know really streamline it, make it very easy for people. Now, like I said, there's modifiers, and those are for... Uh, enchanted weapons can do modifiers to your attack. Uh, actually, in that respect, it's very 
almost exactly like D&D, whatever plus adds a bonus to your attacking on your action table. Uh, also does bonuses to your damage. Also, the same thing with armor and your protection. That aids in your uh, defense. You also have some other little things that they talk about, a few paragraphs about undefended attacks and how that works. Uh, a little bit about missile weapons and how they are different from regular melee weapons. And I found the list of melee uh, missile weapons very interesting because in this game you can have a flamethrower. <laughs> so, um, I'm sure it's a very primitive flamethrower, but yeah, you can have um, flamethrowers in this game. But they break it down to like, yeah, ballistas, blowguns, catapults. Your dart thrower, the the Vardoon dart thrower, uh, the Urag flamethrower, the Oceanish flangebow, whatever that is. Uh, <laughs> I do like it that there are, based upon, I guess, either the races or the nation has a particular weapon associated with it. That, that adds a certain flavor to the game. I think it's kind of cool. Uh, there are also other things as far as combat's concerned that you could do. Uh, if you want to read into it, there's talk. They talk about what happens in a retreat. Um, if you want to use strategy and tactics, how you could use that to maybe modify your um, or attack and defenses. And that's up to the GM to decide how much of a modifier is, how ambushes and surprises work. So those are in the game. You can also uh, do subdual. It's not just like in regular D&D. It was only really focused on, on dragons, but you can subdue any opponent. You just have to um, announce your intent to subdue. Uh, blunt weapons, fists, blade pommels, and solar weaponry may be employed for such ends. And damage caused to subdual attack is only half actual. And when an opponent is reduced to zero hit points, they're actually technically unconscious if you're just doing subdual attacks uh you could do also do shield parries uh for only like two pages of combat it's actually rather detailed on some of the stuff like uh, actually throws in a, a paragraph about shield parries so you can um you could have that in your game as well but uh as far as you know any similarities to D D or you know comparable to it like I said, the only real thing I see that's similar to it is your modifiers to your attacks or to your defense. You know, either depending if you have magical armor or magical weapons. Um, what thing I did particularly like was that it's one chart for everything. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, yeah, for simplicity's sake, that's cool. But I guess there really isn't any difference as far as like between your wizards and your fighters who maybe could hit better. I guess the only way you could determine that is, I guess, uh, you know, wizards probably only have the real basic combat skill. So that's, I think, the only real way that you can differentiate between your different uh classes is maybe i guess a, a priest type would only have a secondary combat skill and the modifier wouldn't be as much i guess that would be a way of like really 
differentiating between the different classes, but essentially anybody has a pretty good chance of hitting and doing the same sorts of results to another to another attacker. The so, chart kind of remind, reminds you of the DC superheroes game when you have the chart for it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and uh, and that that's true. I'm actually glad you brought that. Up. That does remind me of that a little bit about the old uh, the old face rip thing, you know, and uh, the yeah. the that that kind of a line graph chart from Marvel superheroes. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool concept. It's just different. Um. I think there are some things that maybe you could actually take out of here to maybe use in a in a regular AD&D game. I like the idea of the uh the shield parry thing. I think that's pretty cool. Maybe if you want to throw in flamethrowers in your game, <laughs> you find out what damage they do, that would be cool. cool. But um I thought it was interesting also from a I I don't know if maybe from a gaming historical gaming perspective this the history of the rpg game that actually in the chart that they incorporate crits and fumbles into the actual chart itself and that was this is the first time i ever saw something like that so mm. so that's pretty much how combat is in a in a nutshell within the Talislanta game so At not much not much to it yeah it's very simple in first edition yeah mm-hmm I guess in that way, it would make it uh, rather quick. It's a really fast and dirty when it comes to combat in this game. I could see that. Well, I yeah, you're more likely to hit. You're just doing less damage. Because when I was first reading this, I'm like, that half damage, that could actually extend combat quite a bit. If you keep, especially if you're fighting something that had high defense, so you, the modifiers were heavily against you. You would just be doing half damage, half damage, half damage. And we know how long in first edition when you're doing combat with creatures that have take like half damage from your monsters go. Mm-hmm. So I could see it actually kind of extending things. I think that's why you have to have that critical hit. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah. it would. It, I could see it becoming quite tedious if the best you could do is, oh, I do half damage repeatedly. Right. But I, I guess, I, I don't know. I mean, what are the chances of just doing half damage? It is. Let me pull that. It's um, half damage if you roll six to ten. Right. So twenty five percent chance if you're if assuming no modifiers. Yeah. So yeah, I guess you would have to put in stuff like that hit plus intent, which is like your critical. Right. So. I like the idea of the half damage, though. That's kind of cool. Yeah, you know what? I kind of do, too. I think it's an interesting concept because even though you're going to hit somebody, you know, the damage that you're going to do might not be as great. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, and it does make for a different game. I mean, just looking at the chart, though, you are uh, you miss on a 1 to 5, uh, half damage, 6 to 10, and 11 through 20 is a hit. So... 75% of the time, with no modifiers, you're hitting. Yeah. So in that way, it actually does speed things up. It's just a yeah. different way of going about it. It's uh, it's kind of like how in uh, Palladium do you have to roll like an 8 or higher on a d20 to hit base. Right. So. 
but then there's more defensive options in Palladium, just like there's far more modifiers that'll get you up or down in this as well. So just a different flavor. Well, yeah, they tried to make it different and, you know, they didn't want to be like TSR's game, so they made their own. Yeah, exactly it. They, they wanted, they wanted to be different. Yeah, it's got a different flavor. Bland, but it has flavor. (laughs) Put some hot sauce on it. Uh, Well, we'll play. All right. All right, with that said, we'll head into our last segment of the night. The Dragon's Horde. And now in the Dragon's Horde, we're actually going to talk about uh, the magic in more detail, and we're also going to talk about the money uh, used as well. Uh, really but because uh, we'll just hit the money for, uh, quick first because... The money, every race and country has their own money. And unlike in D&D where a gold is worth a gold no matter where you go, sometimes your money will be worthless depending on which country you're in. So basically it has exchange rates. (laughs) And depending on the material or design, it may be worth more or less. Uh, some in some places you'll find the money's worthless and the same time in another country if you went there it'll be worth two or three times its base value in its home country <laughs> you know that stinks because if you come from one of those primitive places where you know they value you know shells and and other kind of things and you go to this other place and they say you you give us a thousand shells and you want a gold I don't think so <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah it, it it does kind of make sense because if you just think of it in a D&D uh, mindset, when you go into a dungeon that's supposedly been sealed for thousands of years, why would the gold coins you find in said dungeon be the same as the gold coins be currently being used, and why would people say, treat them the same? Wouldn't they be worth more? So... It it makes sense from a logical standpoint. It just requires some accounting and bookkeeping to remember it's, well. A DM does not want to do. The last thing I want to do is make <laughs> a huge, massive socioeconomic chart of my campaign world. Oh, my God. I would blow my brains out before I'd even do that. And sadly, that's how it is listed in the book between regions and the campaign. So you have to kind of figure things out where the players are for whatever gold works or whatever copper or one of them is a wafer. Uh, what do you stick it in your mouth? Wafer? It's a wafer thing? <laughs> you, know, you put some cheese on it and hand it around. Oh. You know. I was thinking more of those thin mint wafer things. I like those. Good. Yeah. And, oh, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, and then there's like the gold pinnacles that traders and merchants like because they're hard to counterfeit. You have your antique coins. It's, you have uh, one, uh, the Imran, they have brass rings uh, that are worth two copper, but the lands that outlaw slavery will not accept these as coinage. Mm. So you just end up with all kinds of weird things like that. So if you do a lot, if you were to run a game and have a lot of uh, inner country travel, you're going to either have to find the money changer or carry lots of different currency with you. So you, you you could be a millionaire in one country and a pauper in the next, all depending on the type of coins you have. 
Actually, I like that whole concept with the different nations and the different types of coinage, especially when you're playing games like uh, Greyhawk or um, or Forgotten Realms and everything, because, you know, some nations deal in slavery. So when you peddle their particular coin in, in nations that do not support slavery, dude, we're not going to take your coins. This is this is slave money. No, it's my money. I just got it from selling slaves. <laughs> I like I like the idea. I hate the execution of it. Yeah. I just I honestly think it's just way too much stuff for a, a, a DM to 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 deal with. It's like like wait a minute. Do my players really care about exchange rates? Do they want that in their campaign? <laughs> Probably not. Well, it depends on who they are, right? And it also depends on the type of or game. Are they a, well, we're a bunch of economists sitting down playing this game. I, I don't think so. But if you if you're playing a game where uh, inner country uh, relationships and battles are like the focus, having that makes I think perfect sense. Well, if that if that's the focus of your game, which uh, Talislantia that kind of is the focus it's how are all these different nations and races uh interacting with each other it, that's the, the focus with any campaign i guess it just depends on how much detail you want to throw into it I'm, and is it necessary detail is it necessary for the story could be if you want to go with that you know the economic side of things if i could guess i could see like a nation where they might consider it uh in their best interest not to take the coinage from another nation. So they're going to kind of like, you know, put the economic stranglehold on that particular nation. If you want to go into that, sure. Is it great role-playing? No, it's kind of boring. <laughs> that's, that's a profession though. There's a profession called economist. And you know what I was thinking though, since we're talking about, you know, coinage, there is actually a profession called economist in this game. No, I was just joking around. But I, what about wasn't there, was, isn't there like a joke one in uh, Dragon somewhere, like Economist or something like that? There is. Yeah, like say Papers and Paychecks or something like papers that. Papers and called. Paychecks, yes. <laughs> what about Steel Pieces? Well, that's uh, – yeah, Dragonlance. No, I just did that because Race and the Rock sent his email and said I was wrong today. So I just say Steel Pieces. Steel Pieces. <laughs> <laughs> this whole concept, I think they were trying to copy the whole medieval dark – themes when there was different kingdoms and different kings had their own source of currency i could tell you one thing if you're going for like an actual medieval thing there was hardly any coinage in the medieval world not until later right it was mostly barter it was mortar mostly barter and trade and if there was any coinage chances are it was probably just around the mediterranean area oh i'll trade you my little red belching fire lizard for that white chicken i can eat (laughs) <laughs> What's the exchange rate ratio for a belching fire lizard to chicken? <laughs> I, you know, the only thing I can think of is from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where that giant triangle coin. Yes, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about that giant yeah. rough triangle coin, just yeah. like how many thousand miles wide. <laughs> <laughs> like, who's gonna carry that? <laughs> I, will, I will trade you my orc with pig face versus your orc with non-pig face. Uh, no, I'll trade you your orc with pig face with your cleric with edge weapon. Hey, 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 hey! Let's not get ugly here. <laughs> Keep this clean, well, people. <laughs> well, I'll take the pig with the orc face, though. 
Okay, you can have it free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, but okay. yeah, the, the the coinage. It's an interesting concept. It's not for everyone. It can add. It does add flavor to the game, and also it's a nice little way to help control the economy, so your players aren't kicking the door and looting the room of every coinage, thinking they can just walk around with all this money. So. It it does help help uh, rein in the uh, wealth of the players some, but uh, so I think I think we've hit most of everything on the currency. Unless we there's more uh, trading wood for sheep we want to do. <laughs> so let's go and uh, talk about uh, the magic system. I mean we've touched upon it earlier. It actually follows the similar uh, uh, resolution chart that combat does. But yeah. instead of having like a half damage, uh, like physical combat does, it actually just has a success. So it actually has two successes, and it still has the fumble and the extraordinary success. Uh, what I and, found really interesting about this is that it doesn't have like our first edition has the spell limits per level. It's kind of you know the spell, you compare it versus the caster to get your magic rating. Right. It's yeah, just no. You, yeah, it's just like you know it, and you can just keep firing off spells. Uh, I do find it, uh, they have the uh, magical mishap, which, the chart, which I, I always just love these little fumble charts. It, <laughs> it's like, the, the, the best one is, they roll the fumble, they would know they rolled the fumble, but if you roll a one or two, there's no noticeable effect. Except a 50% chance of a side effect later. So that's kind mm-hmm. of like the fumble for the future. That almost reminds me of the uh, Hackmaster spell mishap table where you could have a spell mishap, but it doesn't affect you, but it like affects one of your family members. Right. <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah, you can rebound on the caster, or it could reverse in a random direction. Uh, this a phase shift caster is teleported to a random location. You finally, you know, well, like there, it's like you find out your cousin suddenly has like, you know, pink with purple spots. How'd that happen? Well, I did have a spell mishap about a week ago. (laughs) Or if you roll a 17, a black hole effect, you're drawn into another dimension. Oh, great. (laughs) Yeah. So it's kind of nasty. It's actually kind of like the combat mishap because there is, uh, if you roll an 18 on it, attacker suffers an incapacitating injury, cannot continue fighting unless healed. I mean... It's, it's the balance of being able to cast spells above your level, so... Right. Oh, Temporal Rift. This would be horrible as a GM. Caster falls backward in time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Five seconds. Boom. Done. Right. It's like the Omega-13. Oh, sorry. Or, or you can be backwards or forward, so that's your choice. I but. had five seconds. Boom. Done. S- so it has a little bit of a time travel built into this. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> but, yeah, it's definitely interesting. I can't, when trying to use this in D&D, uh, no, I wouldn't. You'd have a lot of angry players, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you throw this in with the spell limits, absolutely. Because the whole point of this chart is to help balance out the fact you can keep casting spells. Right. If you throw this resolution system on top of a limited spell, you get your your first level magic user. You have your one spell a day. You cast it. Uh-oh, you have a mishap. You're now in a black hole. 
Yeah, I was just thinking like, oh, okay. <laughs> this just ups the mortality rate of the magic user like way up. <laughs> if you take rip out the spells and put this in first edition, I think it could work. Right, you would have to entirely replace the spell system. But for this one, it shows that when you first begin as a spellcaster, you know every possible first level apprentice spell. You're taught that by your master. Everything else, which is higher, like initiate, adept, and master, you got to go out and find. There's no like book sitting on the shelf going, "Here you go, my young friend. Here's your next level of spells." You got to go out and find those suckers, and then you could try to cast them if you can remember how to, if you remember them. Because you can cast from memory, you can cast from a written work, or a magical item. And I know casting from, if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm looking, scrolling down to find out if casting from memory is instantaneous, but casting from an actual work case, was it four rounds? No, it says three rounds here. It was four rounds in second edition Yeah, when we played it. So you can cast from a, an actual work, and it'll take three rounds for it to actually go off. So hmm. I guess that's just the... Because I, I know, I know when you cast, when you do off a scroll, it doesn't usually take that long. But here, it takes three rounds. So, yeah, I, I guess they figured it's going to take you some time to actually read it. Where if you're casting it from memory, it's just kind of an instantaneous discharge of the energy already built up. What I also find interesting is that you also what if you have... prematurely discharge that energy? Nick. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you also have the ability to mix uh, potions to concoct mixtures and potions. So not only are you a magician, you're also an alchemist. So you can make up probably... Oh. You can make up healing spells or flying things or anything you can do with a potion. So I, I think that's pretty interesting, but only the low-level stuff because that's all you were taught. You have to find books to teach you how to do things in higher levels. So it's all about finding and uh, excavating and learning. Right. Which is similar to uh, AD&D in that sense, because when you're trying to gain additional spells, you get your one spell per level that you've researched on your own. After that, you need to start getting them from other people's spell books. Mm-hmm. Oh, Darkling Warrior. He looks kind of cool. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Get the pictures. Anyway, so that's magic and that's money in Talislantia, and that's basically gonna wrap everything up for the day. Oh. Oh. Just to recap, Will's contest, the contest of Will, we'll call it. <laughs> that's actually pretty cool. The contest of Will. What are the contests of Wills? Uh, <laughs> a twenty-five uh keyed mapped uh, adventure, whether it be a dungeon, whether it be a wilderness adventure, whether it be a castle. Underwater. Uh, underwater. In a, in a giant pumpkin. In a giant pumpkin. You know, <laughs> in the palm of your hand. Uh, it doesn't matter. As long as it's first edition rules, we'll put the link up for some examples he was talking about, about writing dungeon uh, crawls and things like that. Oh, speaking of dungeon crawls, before I forget, yes. um, I had the first session with the uh, with the kitties yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, we, we finish this up, and you can talk all about it. Uh, yeah, and I'm gonna post something on on the website. Just want to let everybody know it'll be up there in the next couple, like week. Okay, November first is due by 12 p.m. midnight. RFI staff at gmail.com is where you submit your entries to. Uh, if it's that large and you can't attach it to an email because you went all out and super duper did everything, uh, contest us. We'll figure a way to get it to us, and every entry becomes property of the uh, podcast. Unfortunately, that's how. We have to work things. And the winner will be displayed on the website and handed out as a full-blown module with Will's 
double thumb up approval picture on the front of it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> cover by Errol Otis. Yeah. You all are adding things to this contest that I did not agree to. We're just kidding. <laughs> I'm adding to the fact that it'll be distributed. The winner will be distributed and displayed prominently so everybody can see. I think cool. that's Anything else, guys? No. Nick, Nick, you want to talk about your session? Oh, I just wanted, I just wanted to, that, like I said, quick mention. It ran, ran the uh, session uh, yesterday with uh, with the kids who could show, and they had an awesome time. Good. They did not want to leave. <laughs> so they had what did they play? Play. we're doing temple of elemental evil my friend how old are your kids um they're 11 12 years old 11 uh, to 13 they should be playing candy land no oh. not anymore <laughs> <laughs> they've outgrown all that while back so yeah they're doing and they and i will post on the website how they did and they came up with a very imaginative and Unique way of dealing with the moat house. Hmm, okay. So you can look on osrgaming.org slash forums where you register and join in on the fun and talk with Nick, who's starting topics now. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? I know. I almost <laughs> ended. It's just, it's just nuts. I know. It's out of control. It's crazy. Or you could join us at rfipodcast.com and read all the uh, show notes and wonderful things that we post on there. Not really, but. You can go there if you want. Please go. <laughs> and that'll conclude the show for this week, guys. Okay. Woohoo! Woo <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to be going out this week. Keep it original, keep it old school. And what else am I going to say? No elves in Talislanta. <laughs> yeah. And uh, clerics with plant weapons. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 All right, well. <laughs> <laughs>